I was hoping that uh, as I'm getting to preach these next three weeks, that I'll be able to just pick right back up in 2 Samuel. Um, because I'll be honest, I'm not good at just preaching like off text. You know, like I like I like going through a book like we do here so often because it I know what I'm preaching on. Half the battle for me is finding a passage if, if we're not going through something. And so uh, I was hoping that we could pick up in 2 Samuel, but we would have been in 2 Samuel 13. And, and usually, and not usually, but sometimes in the providence of God, when we're going through a book like this and we come across a holiday or, or a day like Mother's Day or Father's Day or the week of Thanksgiving, the text that we're preaching through just lines up perfect and we're able to keep on going through and also we're able to give, um, you know, kind of relate it to that particular holiday or that particular special occasion. Today is not that day. 2 Samuel 13 would not have been the chapter for Mother's Day. You'll see why I say that next week. Um, or if you flip there, you'll see. But uh, would not have been the best text for a day like today. It's, it still is God's Word. It's, it's a good word. But it's, uh, I think we can, we can definitely uh, hear somewhere else in the Word and, um, and kind of go a little better with a day like today. Um, so today, like I said earlier, we want, to, we want to honor mothers, we want to uplift mothers, but we want to uplift Christ more. We want to do both, and we certainly can do both, Lord willing. Um, so like I said, I had a difficult time picking a passage that would, be, that would do just that, that would, that would honor Christ first and foremost, but that we could also talk about motherhood and the love that mothers have for their children. Uh, and I came across Philippians chapter 2, and I, and I settled there, uh, because what we're going to see in Philippians 2 is that Paul is, is giving this command to the, to the church of Philippians, then by proxy us also here today, he's giving us this command to us as well. He's telling us to have a particular mindset and to, to do a particular thing. You'll see what that thing is later, uh, but it's talking about humility primarily, and, and then he points to Jesus as this ultimate example, as this major example of what he's telling us to do. So he says, do this, and then he says, because Christ has done this. He's this perfect example. And I hope that, that as we read this, you'll see why I kind of settled in on this text, and that's because while Jesus is the perfect example, and he is uh, the ultimate example of humility and of, and of this kind of sacrifice that, that Paul is going to talk about in Philippians 2, I hope that you'll see that, that I think motherhood is like a strong second. Like, I don't think we see it any more clearly outside of Christ than we do in motherhood. So I think this is a good text and where we can ultimately honor Christ, but that we can also give some honor to our, our mothers who mean so much to us. Uh, so let's read uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We'll go through verses 1 through 11. It says, So if there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, it is good. Uh, and it is powerful, dear God. It has the power to convict us of sin, to draw us to you, dear God, and to open our hearts to see truth. So I pray that will be the case today, God, that we will uh, see truth about Christ here in this passage, dear God, that we would be drawn to him and uh, that you would be glorified through it all. And all of a sudden I pray in your holy name. Amen. So the overarching, the, the big idea point here that, that Paul is trying to drive home in this text is about humility. You know, if you've got the same little titles that I do, your title says Christ's Example of Humility. So you can see there, Paul is telling us about humility, but within that bigger scope of humility, he gives kind of two more practical ways that we can be humble. He gives two ideas of, of how we can do what he tells us to do. In verse 3, he says, to count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. And then in verse 4, he says, to look to the interest of others. So these are the two kind of ideas that I want us to sit back on and think on for a couple minutes. And these things, they may sound kind of simple. They may sound like things that we can do and that we could do well. But in reality, if we really think about it, these are actually pretty difficult things. And, and what Paul is asking us to do is pretty contrary to how we would naturally behave, how we would outside of Christ behave. is very opposite to that. In most cases, I think we, we, we think pretty highly of ourselves. At least we want to take care of ourselves. We want to look after ourselves first, right? And then maybe once we're taken care of, once, once our needs are met, then maybe we'll help someone else. I mean, what does the, what is the worldly saying about, about this? You've got to look out for number one, right? Look out for number one. And who's number one? We are, right? Ourselves. Uh, so the world says, look out for number one. That's what our, our motto is sometimes, but God's word here is telling us that to count someone else as more significant than ourselves, to, to look to the interest of someone else. So that means that someone else is number one. And in reality, it means that, that everyone else is number one. Paul doesn't say put some people before yourself. Paul says put others before yourself. Count others as more significant than yourself. So really, we're, we should, in, in our life, we should, our needs, our interests should be second to everyone else's. This is the kind of mindset that Paul wants us to have. He wants us to look to the needs of others, to the, to the interest of others. And this, this idea is to, to be less significant than others and to, to look to the other people's interest is really a foreign concept to the world, almost completely foreign. Uh, it is something that for the most part, to this extent, this type of humility, this kind of love is really unique to Christian community, to, to a place like this church where we're gathered together and we love each other and we care for each other. And what makes it unique is that besides us being in Christ, there is not that much, you know, in some cases, there's not that many similarities between us. There's age gaps. There's um, on all, all kinds of gaps that, that Matt talked about a few weeks ago when he talked about diversity. Um, so like other outside of Christ, we would have no reason to, to be together except for this half of the church who's all related. Uh, but but for the most part, and, and other churches are, are even more diverse, and you see people who would never normally associate with, other, with each other who are loving each other and caring for each other. And then we also do that for other people. You know, we, we, we give to organizations who, like Seven Life who, who help people who we don't even know, who we would never come across in our normal 
day-to-day -day life. People who are in different pay levels than we are, different you know, economic statuses, different social statuses than we are. Uh, but we see this kind of love for each other in this community. You don't see it in, uh, in the world almost anywhere else like you do here in this church or in a church of, of spirit-filled uh, spirit believers. And so we can have this mindset through Christ. That's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves. So he's talking about the things that I just mentioned about counting yourself as less significant and looking to the interest of others. He says, now, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So it's in Christ that we can have this mindset. But then also, if we're in Christ, we not only can have this mindset, but we ought to have this mindset. Back up with me a little bit to verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, then do these things. So it's kind of a conditional statement that we see there. Uh, where he says, if you are in Christ, I think that's what he means there in verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and especially when he says, if there's any participation in the Spirit. So if there's participation in the Spirit, if you are in Christ, if you are spirit and dwell believers, then do this. So if we're in Christ, this thing that is foreign to, to the world, that, that is naturally foreign to us, is crucial to our faith. It's something that that Paul is commanding us to do in the Word of God. And so I, I don't think for us that it's optional. I don't think it's something that we should strive to do. I think it's something we have to do. We need to think this way. We need to be this way towards other people and think about people in this way. I think this is part of what it means to be a Christian. There's this song that we used to sing in the BCM all the time, and Ashley knows that I did not care for this song that much. Uh, but it, it is a good song. We just, we just sang it all the time. And, it was, and you may know it, and if you like it, I'm sorry. But it says, uh, they will know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. And it just repeats that refrain over and over again. Um, but it is true in that sense that the world will, will know that we are Christians by the way that we act towards other people, the way that we um, uh, love other people. And precisely what Paul is telling us to do here in this humbling ourselves. It's so contrary to the world. It's, it's what will make us stick out as Christians if we do this well. So that's a mark that the Christian ought to have is that um, you know, people ought to look at, look at us and think, man, there is something different about those people. You know, there is something really different about them and what they do. And so the reason that I kind of wanted us to sit on these two verses for a second, these two kind of ideas, is that I think while we see the perfect example of this in Christ, that we see a glimpse of this, we see a picture of this in motherhood. This counting yourself as less significant than others and looking towards the, the interest of others. I think this is something that mothers, even unbelieving mothers, do extremely well. They love their children and they put their children before themselves. So Christ demonstrates this perfectly, and we're going to look at that later, but outside of Christ, I cannot think of a better example of, of humility in this way, in, in putting someone else's needs before your own. I don't think we see a better example uh, anywhere else besides motherhood, outside of Christ, that is. And of course, that applies to fathers too, but today's not your day. That comes later. Today is Mother's Day. So we're thinking about mothers, and think about what all, what all mothers give up. I know y'all wouldn't think about it that way, 
You don't, you don't think about you're losing or sacrificing something, but you are. You're giving up a lot. Uh, think about, um, you know, some women, for example, they give up a career to raise their children in a home. And then some women work so that they can raise their children. They work so they can take care of their children. And so you're giving up what I would call wealth. I mean, you're giving up money. Because uh, I know, based on my own experience, that children are expensive, right? I mean, uh, think about, like, I think back to when I was growing up and clothes, how expensive clothes has, had to have been. Because there was a time, and uh, some of y'all probably are very familiar with this, where it seemed like every other week I was outgrowing a pair of jeans. They were, they were coming high waters every other week. And I didn't wear cheap jeans either, you know? And so that was something my parents had to buy for me all the time. And then I think about other things like sports, you know, bats and, and gloves and the fees that they had to pay. And then they traveled with me to only sporting events, especially when I did travel ball. I mean, I know that cost hundreds of dollars probably every weekend. And y'all are probably very familiar with this. And it's not just sports. I mean, it's, it's band and other things, too. And everything that your kid participates in is going to cost money for the most part. And... Uh, I mean, and then I turned 16, and they bought me a whole car. I mean, <laughs> a whole car. And they paid for it all. I mean, and some parents don't do that, but mine did, and most of y'all probably have done that. And it's just amazing that they did that. And then they did it times three, because I have a brother and a sister who had the, did the exact same things that I did. Um, and so they spent so much money. I mean, I think my parents would literally be rich if they didn't have us three children. But it's a sacrifice that they make, and it's something that they did, and they counted us as more significant than themselves. They put our needs before their selves, and they, they looked to our interest first. And so mothers, you sacrifice money, either because you, have, you, know, you, you don't work to take care of your kids, or because you are working having to pay for all the things that your kids do. You sacrifice your time, uh, your sleep, especially early mothers, you know, young mothers, right? I mean, even after I was a uh, even after I grew up, there would be many nights where I'd get scared and I'd go in my mother's room and wake her up. I mean, so it didn't, it didn't stop after I was a baby. It, it kept going. Um, and then you, you sacrifice your sanity sometimes, right? I don't know how many nerves my mom had, but, but I know I found that last one a bunch of times. And uh, we, we probably drove her crazy during the summer. And, and she, had, she was a teacher, so she had this great opportunity where she could have had every summer to herself. And she could have just relaxed. And y'all know about that. Y'all two are smiling at me. Uh, but she could have just relaxed and been at peace, but she chose to raise children instead. And, and I'm sure we drove her absolutely crazy. And see, this is just one example from my mother. Y'all have all made different kinds of sacrifices, and, and your mother made sacrifices for you if you're not a mother. Um, so you know this example, this, this picture of love. This, uh, I mean, like we said, even even... Unbelieving mothers love their children so much. And so we see this idea of love. And, and that's an imperfect love. That may not make sense. You might not understand that. It, you, know, you say it's unconditional and you love your children so much. But that's an imperfect love because you're a sinner and you're loving someone that much. Or if, or if you're on the other end, if like, like me, like I'm a sinner and I was loved that much. And my mom's a sinner and she loved me that much. But think about the love of Christ who is perfect in every sense to be perfect. Think about how much love He has for us and how much love God has for His children. The, the God who the Bible literally, literally tells us is love. Think about how much He loves us. So motherhood and this, this love that mother has for their children is just a glimpse of that perfect love that Christ has for us. And more than that, I mean, Christ designed motherhood. 
Christ designed this in creation. I'm going to borrow from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. We talked about this Wednesday where we read, um, it says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So the idea there was that Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses, because he created Moses. He was the creator of Moses. Um, and therefore, he was more honorable and more deserving of glory than Moses. But think about it in motherhood. Motherhood is an awesome, awesome thing. We see so much love. We see so much humility. We, we give it a lot of honor like on a day like today. But Christ designed that, that thing. Christ created that relationship. So how much more loving is he? How much more deserving of honor is he? We use this illustration Wednesday, but think about a piece of a piece of art. You know, if it's really beautiful, you look at it and you say, who is this artist? Who made this? Who did this? It eventually points you to that. And so likewise, motherhood ought to point us to Christ. It ought to point us to God. It ought to be like all good things that God has given us, and it ought to glorify Him. So mothers, they make a huge sacrifice. They, uh, they give up so much uh, and they do it out of love. But Christ makes what we call this ultimate sacrifice. And in verse 6, if you look there, we kind of see this transition that Paul begins to make. He makes this transition from this is what you ought to do to here is the perfect example. Look at, look at verse 6. He says, uh, talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, keep going, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We'll go on one more verse. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ, who is God, to be in the, in, to be in the form of God here is to be God, is to be Everything that God is, again, borrowed from Hebrews. Hebrews 1 tells us that, um, that Christ was the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so if, if Christ is the exact imprint of the nature of God, He is God. Anything that it means to be God, Christ is. And then it says that He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself. And how did Christ do that? How did Christ empty Himself? Did He lose His divinity? It's, it's important that we understand this rightly. It's a good, it's an important concept of, of Christ's coming uh, but he didn't empty himself by losing his godness. He didn't, uh, didn't take off his being God and, and, and then take on man. Paul explains that he emptied himself by becoming man. He says there in verse uh, 6 that he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, the thing to be grasped, verse 7, but emptied himself, not by losing his deity, but by taking the form of a servant. So he, lost, he emptied himself by taking on something else. And that doesn't sound right. That doesn't add up as far as math goes, um, that he lost something by adding something, uh, or that he emptied himself by adding something. But if you think about it, it it's probably, probably makes more sense than we think. Think about the creator of the universe, this huge and awesome God, the God who fills every space with his presence, um, who is all-powerful, all-knowing. And then that God condenses himself to take the form of man. And that's, that's a pretty emptying aspect. He didn't lose something, he took on something, and yet it's an emptying aspect. So we see here this perfect example of humility. It is the epitome of humility. Christ lowered himself to become man. And so then Paul, you know, he's telling us to, to humble ourselves, and he gives us Christ as this example. I mean, he goes from heavenly 
throne to, to servant, to servant, to, to a, a manger. And then in verse 8, we see that his humility didn't stop there. He says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so death really is probably the most humbling of all human experiences, really. I mean, it's where we, we just, it's over. And we, it's, it's our, what we have as a human life is gone. Uh, and so it's a lowering moment where we, we can't beat this thing called death. And we try hard and we, we have medicine and sciences, but we can't stop it. It's, it's something that, uh, that we cannot compete with. Um, but, and so it's, it's, it's a humility, you know, it's, uh, it causes humility in that sense. Um, but not just death, not just any death, but Christ died on a cross. He was beaten and bruised and, and stripped of his clothing and hanging there on a cross. I mean, what an example of humility. What an example of humility. But we cannot stop there. And if we stopped at verse 8, we could say, what an example of humility, but we would come short of understanding who Christ is and what He really came to do. We can't stop there because all we would see is this picture of an example. An example. That's a mistake that many philosophers in the past throughout history have made, that they just saw Christ as an example. Other religions believe in Christ, but they just see Him as a good person. Just a, a guy who did some good things and who's a good example to follow. But is He really the Son of God? Is He really the only way to salvation? If we stop here, we would... We would we could come to that conclusion. But Paul is concerned to explain more. His, his goal is to show us Christ as an example, but he will not stop there because he knows there is something more important that we understand, that we see Christ as who He really is, as the Word of God describes Him as a Lord and a Savior over our lives. Look at verse 9. We see this, this transition from Christ as a humble servant to the exalted Son of God. From humble servant to exalted Son of God. He says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, verse 9 again, Because Jesus was humbled, God exalted him. And then bestowed on him this great name. We sang about the sweet name of Jesus a minute ago. So because Jesus was humble, he is exalted. And then the reason he is exalted in verse 10 is so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue will confess. This is a picture of Jesus' future exaltation. You see, he was exalted in heaven before he came down as a man. And then, so he was, then he was humbled and lowered. And then he was exalted at his resurrection. But there is a time coming when he's going to be even more so exalted, when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. So Paul isn't concerned that we only see Jesus as this example. He is more concerned that we see him as Lord because of this future exaltation. If we just stopped at verse 8, we could just say, yes, he's a good example, and we could just all be merry and happy. But then because he's the exalted one, because he's the one who was going to return and who every knee will bow before, because of this, then we must accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because the truth, the, the reality, the eventuality is that at, at the coming of Christ, every single knee will bow, every single tongue will confess. Not just believers, but everybody will. 
But that doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. The only question is, are we going to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior now on this side? Or are we going to do it when it's too late? Are we going to do it now and have our sins forgiven and experience a love that's so real, that, that's stronger than this love we see in motherhood in their children? Are we going to accept that? And while, it's, while there's time, are we going to be, when it's too late, when we're standing before God and we realize that Jesus really was who He said He was, that He really did all the things uh, that we read about here in God's Word, that He really is the one who is exalted, the one who uh, we should put our faith and trust in. And so, you know, if you've never done that, today is the day for salvation. Today is the day. You will confess one way or another, uh, but today is the day for salvation. And if you're already in Christ, then maybe you look at what we see here in Philippians 2, where we see these, this idea of do nothing from selfish ambition, uh, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And you think about... Um, your own interest and all that kind of thing, you know, maybe you see that and you think, maybe my mindset isn't matching up exactly as, as it should, as God's Word is teaching me that it should. And then if that's the case, then you know, now's the chance to kind of to come and just give it all back to God, to kind of, um, kind of renew that and say, I want to count myself as less significant. In Christ, I want to be humble, and I want to uplift others, and in return, that will uplift God. And then are we as a church, are we in this this way, are we in this same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind? I think that's to the church as a whole when he writes that kind of idea. Are we together on this mission for the gospel? I mean, are we, are we doing things together? Are we in one accord? That's a command that we ought to have if we're in Christ. So in a moment we'll have a hymn of invitation. And uh, if you've never put your faith in Christ, the day is uh, the day. Y'all will get out real early today and get a chance to beat everybody to the restaurant for Mother's Day. Um, but let's, let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll be done. Dear Lord, I thank you for this, uh, this time that we have had to open your word, even briefly as it may have been, dear God, but to, to hear your word and to, to honor Christ and also to get a chance to honor uh, the mothers who are here in this room today, dear God, and to think about uh, the mothers that, that we've had or currently have, dear God. And so we thank you. Uh, thank you for this gift of motherhood that, that you gave us, dear God, and how we see um, how good it is and how, how loving it is. And we, and we see that points us to you, dear God, that you are the designer of that relationship, dear God, and that you are more deserving of glory and more, uh, more great than that, dear God. So we thank you so much for, for that example that we get, dear God. And we pray that as we go on the day that we will be able to spend time with our families, dear God, and, and continue to glorify you. And all I have to pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen.